I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. What's good, everyone, and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast for fintech professionals who are ready to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm interviewing Jacqueline Shadek. She's the Director of Financial Planning at Firm, the author of Money Planning and Positivity, and an expert in digital advising. Jacqueline is also a pioneer in leveraging social media and digital tools to grow her financial planning business. I've had the pleasure of watching her Instagram following soar over the last year to nearly 16K, and it's probably bigger since we've recorded this. I'm excited to dive in with Jacqueline so she can share her story. We're going to catch up a little bit and learn what she's working on in the finance meets digital space. So Jacqueline, welcome to What the Fintech. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm your favorite certified financial planner or soon to be. I'm also not your average financial planner, so I can't wait to share you know, any new information with the listeners that I can. Yes. And thank you so much for joining. I mean, just to start, I always love to ask my guests if they're working from home and just how they're doing overall today. Yes, you're right. I didn't do the official welcome to my house, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to my home. I'm working from my home office. I love it. When I purchased my home, I was intentional about having a workspace and I really didn't think that using it was going to come to fruition. But shout out to 2020 because here I am and welcome to my home, everybody. I love it. I love that we get to have these like sneak peeks into everyone's home. And for any of my guests that aren't working from home, they usually have some sort of like interesting explanation for what their hybrid work life is. So always love to ask. But anyways, <laughs> loving the home. Very, very beautiful. Very well put together. So watch this on YouTube so you can check it out. Very cohesive. But just to start, I do love sharing kind of the personal story of my guests first. So maybe we can go into like that long story short version of what led you to financial planning and shaped your values today, because I know it's super interesting and unique. But yeah, just for the listeners who don't know you yet. Ooh, I don't know. I wasn't planning on getting too personal. You know, we just we just talk money around here. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. We're not real humans. We just talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's the usual. But for me, I actually grew up on a thousand acre ranch in Northern California. And, uh, you know, if you follow me on social media, you know me in real life, then you know that I live in Atlanta, Georgia, in a high rise condo. So how did I get from Northern California on a thousand acre ranch, raising a sheep for 4-H every year to living in a high rise condo in Atlanta, Georgia? And it's the same way that I got into financial advising. So long story short, uh, my mother inherited $1.4 million when the property we lived on was sold out from under us and my grandfather passed away at the same time. 
So she inherited money from that property and she decided she didn't want to live there anymore. Fun fact for anybody who's in real estate or wants to be in real estate development, if you develop your own neighborhood or, you know, street or whatever, you get to name that street. So we had a street named after us and my mom couldn't bear for us to live in the same area where uh, we didn't own the street anymore. So we moved to Georgia. So uh, when we made that move, she had employed a financial advisor and this financial advisor gave her terrible advice and she lost $1.5 million. And that led me to wonder who out here knows what they're talking about when it comes to money. And since I couldn't find anybody, I decided to become that person. So fast forward to where we are about 12 years later, and I am a certified financial planner. I've helped thousands of people have a financial win. And I'm just looking to take my career and my mentees and the industry to the next level. Hell yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And it's and it is unique, right? You know, something really personal happened to you and your family that led you to say, hey, like, why am I not seeing a better solution to this? Or why am I not seeing maybe even myself or my situation or people maybe that even look like me, right? Represented in this space to help give that personalized advice that people need when it comes to their finances. So you literally were like, I'm going to become and build the thing that I see missing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when uh, you think about that. I mean, let's kind of, I guess, really just address the part where the disparities between access to financial education and planning for women and people of color are really daunting, right? The data points range from 15 to 20 percent of all planners are women and Black and Latinx uh, account for just like 4 percent. So when you think about your personal story and then just what you've built today, you know, why is it so critical to have more female and people of color financial planners a part of the industry to just change those financial inequities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what you were saying about, you know, finding a solution for something that I thought was missing because that wasn't even my intentions at the time, really. My intentions were just, you know, okay, I want to be fully educated and know what's going on. But that's one of the things that I love about fintech is like it's actually filling a need for what's going on here. And so the first question that I was asked that made me think like, okay, Jacqueline, are you really leading the industry was I'm I'm new to this, guys. I know I sound like an expert, but I'm new to the podcasting and interviewing realm because my first podcast YouTube interview was 2019. So you can go back and watch it if you want. It's not pretty at all. But <laughs> In that episode, I was asked, do you think you are leading the way for women of color, you know, women who look like you, young women who want to be financial advisors or certified financial planners? And I was like, no, I'm just doing my job. You know, I just come to work and I serve my clients and that's it. And so then after that podcast interview, I thought about it and I was like, wait, uh, Jack, How can you be part of the 1% of CFPs that are female and minority and then say that you're simultaneously not leading the industry? Like you're leading the industry inherently, whether you like it or not. So I started to wear that as almost a chip on my shoulder and I started to take personal responsibility for that. And that's when I really started to show up online. And I realized from that podcast interview that there was a lot of people who look like me, who wanted to be in the industry, wanted to be in the space and didn't know how to break in, didn't know how to start, didn't know how to level up. And so I was like, okay, I have a personal responsibility for helping to lead the way because there's there's not a lot of representation. It's interesting how that happens, right? Even I remember first interviewing you, I guess, early last year, kind of right when 
GameStop happened and uh, kind of social media was really taking off with like financial education and investing. And at the time, I remember like talking to you about it. And I think both of us weren't really so aware of kind of the impact that we have sitting in our seats. And it really took kind of more people that I interviewed to tell me that. And I'm sure like kind of vice versa, right? Like the more speaking engagements you do, the more people you interact with, the more people that say like, hey, thank you so much for talking to me. I never speak with like a female fintech reporter or it's really rare or rarely do I talk to someone who like uplifts female stories or whatever it is, right? And kind of same for what you have at your seat. It's kind of crazy how it takes like a minute, right? Before you're like, oh, I am making a difference and then decide to lean into that. I think that takes time no matter what industry you're in, whether you're sitting as the CFP or sitting as like the storyteller, yeah, it just takes time to kind of mold yourself into that mindset, I guess. Yeah, no, it definitely does take time. It takes some personal responsibility. You've got to kind of figure out where you want to be in the world, in a sense, right? So for me, I started to question, like, what legacy am I leaving? Because I currently don't have any children. Don't know if that will ever be in the cards for me. Just don't. So I was like, you know what? You're leaving a legacy at any age, right? Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. You're leaving an imprint on people. And I was like, okay, how can I leave the best imprint possible, you know, even right now, even with being a young black woman in the field, like how can I leave the best imprint possible? And I think it's just leading more people to financial freedom, you know, more people to the thought of and the possibility of you know this being a successful career for them right and I think money has been a taboo topic for too long I think you're gonna have a lot of fintech listeners who haven't even honed in on personal finance techniques yet and I'm sure that you guys listening have a lot of financial questions and where do you turn to get real advice for your financial questions exactly and it really kind of goes to you know you can't be what you can't see, right? That is like totally a very real phrase and saying. And until there are more faces that represent that growing and increasingly diverse customer and user base and client base, right, that we're seeing in financial services. And until there's people at the top, right, or people that are in, you know, the room where it happens, a C-suite of a fintech firm or, or operating and creating the products or, you know, a CFP like yourself, that disparity is kind of always going to be there because there's just a lack of connection. And, you know, from your experience, I guess, kind of starting out, right, the minute you kind of, that moment for you clicked, like, hey, I can really kind of create that that pathway, right, for more women to follow in my footsteps. You then took your your presence online and let social media strategies and let that kind of be like your way of saying, hey, like, yeah, I'm here. I'm a black woman. I'm here. I'm young. And I talk about finance and it isn't lame or taboo. And like, you should too. I mean, yeah, it's just like so dope that you did that because I think there's just so many people that don't even know that this is like a career opportunity for them. And if they do enter the space, they don't have the best experience because maybe mentorship or something or a colleague earlier, early on, maybe kind of messes with their mojo, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people listening have that kind of a story, but it's also like, so technology and you guys are in fintech, so you can tell me, but 
from where I stand, it seems like technology and the people who work in tech have really caused corporate America to become more casual, right? Like people in tech, I feel like were the pioneers of realizing like, hey, I actually provide a lot of value for the world. And that's not dependent on what kind of suit I wear to the office every day, right? So it's become more casual. So also we've had the boom of social media, right? And so what people gravitate towards on social media is the natural, People love the natural, like a video that um, is professionally recorded. When we see that, our mind automatically goes to like a professional sales thing. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be sold anything. Right. Versus when somebody sees a natural video of you or somebody else, they think like, oh, okay, this person is like me. It's relatable. You know, I can relate with this person. And so I'm saying this because I am here and I am trying to tear down some of those barriers so some people in the cfp world don't like that very much they're like no you're removing the professional image and i'm like no i'm trying to get the next generation to understand financial education and to understand financial planning and to understand the proper ways to go about things because yes you do have a lot of financial influencer out there and things like that and people are taking advice from them and most of their advice is dependent on affiliate links right and Mm -hmm. yes full disclosure I do have some affiliate links but that's not how I drive the majority of my income I don't know that I would ever make a full living off of that but the decisions that I make and the information that I share is not dependent on affiliate links my way of helping people to get good financial advice is to try to tear down the barrier between this very prim and proper certified financial planner, financial Mm -hmm. advising world and mesh it with the new casual kind of world that we are in, right? So how do you bridge that gap between the two to make it relatable for people, to make people intrigued with it, right? Because they only want to see a picture of you in a suit so much. You're listening, you're in fintech, you are probably so turned off by that, right? So how do we bridge the gap between the two? That's all I'm trying to do. It's funny, right? Because then, you know, you were doing that before, right? Maybe in like 2019. And so and then the pandemic happens and it's like, okay, now everyone's trying to figure out, figure that out. So you're really kind of on the forefront of that. And so I'm excited to kind of dive into the way that you have leveraged technology, right, to bridge that gap that you're talking about. But I want to first just ask about maybe your experience with mentorship in this industry, given, you know, the stats I shared earlier being so dismal. Yeah, as just sitting in your in your seat, how was that? The first job that I ever got, I still am mentored by the person who hired me, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a really good experience. Now, the other experiences since then, not so great. Like I had to almost force a woman to like be my mentor. And by force her, I mean, I just kept messaging her on LinkedIn. It was like, hey, what do you think about this? What about that? What about this? So I was like, yeah, this isn't the greatest way to go about it, but what do you do? Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're in an industry, you're trying to grow your career, you're trying to learn the industry and nobody wants to help you? What do you do? Especially when nobody who looks like you wants to help you. And then you find out people who look like you are actually trying to tear you down. Then like, what do you do about that? And I've just always lived in a world like you guys have heard in my story. I've always lived in a world, I guess my own world of you should help other people. Like, why would I live in the mindset of there's not enough for everybody? Like there is plenty enough for everything to go around. So why would I not help more, 
more people who look like me. And so not even people who look like me, I have people who don't even look like me who are like, how are you doing this on your own and you're a CFP and like help me make it make sense. Like help me pass the CFP exam. Like this is what I want to do. And so I've been informally mentoring people for the last handful of years. And so I decided to make a formal mentorship out of it because I don't see enough people who are doing this formal mentorship that people need. Right. So Mm -hmm. I decided to create my own program for people. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm so excited to talk about that because thinking about just the the personal story. Right. And what happened with your family. I imagine when that was happening, I imagine that a reflection of that is, hey, this happened because there wasn't someone there that could properly represent what my family was going through, right? So that's hence the advice not working and being shitty, right? So creating your version of making sure that that doesn't happen to anyone else by ensuring that there's mentorship, especially for women and people of color that want to be an advisor or a financial planner. Talk to me about this new venture that that you're working on to, to help make sure that that time lapse that happened to you isn't happening anymore, or at least definitely not as much. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to get people who want to be in the advising space to earning six figures as quickly as possible. Or if you were trying to venture out and start your own business, how can your business start earning six figures as quickly as possible? And how can we get to the multiple six figures? Because we know we only get so much time on this earth. And if you work in financial advising, you know, you only want to work for so long in reality. So how can we get you more money as quickly as possible? And that's not something that our industry focuses on, right? Our industry is wealth management. So we focus on managing wealth, right? That's not exponentially growing your money times 10,000%. That's not what that is. So we need somebody who's focused on getting us more money because at the end of the day, you, you need money to fund your life, right? Right. So because I I knew I was going to be launching this mentorship in early 2022, the year of 2021 was the year of me spending way too much money joining all of the mentorships that I could to see how people were doing things. And these were outside of our industry because I understand how our industry works. I understand some of the coaching programs that are out there. I have friends who participated in them. And I decided to join some networks outside of ours to kind of see how they were running things, right? Because I think that there's a lot that you can take from other professions, even if that's not your profession. So I joined these other mentorships. I spent over $100,000 doing this last year just researching. And so I was like, okay, what works? What didn't work? What experiences did I enjoy? How do I think that this is going to work best for other people? So I came up with this formula because some mentorships had some kind of a preface, some did it. And so I was like, all right, my mentorship for sure brings people in. And this is kind of where the technological side of things kicks in. People come into my mentorship, which is available now. I have a pre-sale going on right now, but you'll come into the mentorship and you'll go through these four phases, which are courses online. So I'm going to teach you these four phases of launching and growing your digital advising business. And, you know, most of us are already digitally advising anyways, because everybody is online. So Mm -hmm. you're already doing this, but how can we get this, you doing this more efficiently? And so you'll come in, you'll complete this course. And once you complete the course, then you're eligible to come on the Q&A calls, right? To come on all of the learning experiences, to be in the close friends on social media, all of that, right? 
but you got to go through the course first. And the reason why I'm structuring it that way is because I've jumped into some of these other mentorships and you just jump into like Q&A calls and stuff. It's like they just throw you in there and they're like, okay, figure it out, join along. But the thing is, most likely if you join a high level mentorship or coaching program, you're going to be learning things that you don't know. So in order for everybody to be on the same page about the coaching calls, we've got to be on the same page about the baseline activities, things that need to be done first. So that's why I've designed this program that way so that you can get the maximum reward from it. Because if you come in and you don't have any idea about what I'm talking about, when you jump on a call, it's not going to be beneficial for you. So that's the way that I have designed the program. And I think it's going to be really exciting, super successful. I'm excited to share it. We're, it's called Digital Advisors Success Accelerator. We're calling, she, well, Jacqueline's calling it DASA, and I, I love it. We are going to link uh, in the show notes to a place where you can sign up if you're tuning in and interested in learning more. But it, it is exciting what you're building, right? Because you're actually building something that leverages technology, i.e. the tool that bridges that gap that we're talking about. And actually creating a mentorship program that is meaningful, right? I think that, honestly, I, I have never experienced a mentorship program at all. And I haven't had a lot of great mentorship situations being a woman and an Asian American woman in the newsroom. But um, to create something where it's like better for financial planners to just have that safe space, right? Because I think that's something that we don't talk about enough uh, is creating like a, a safe space for different people to come into an industry that they're not typically, not typically, I use that with quotes, right? Like a part of, or have historically not been a part of and saying like, Hey, you know, I've built my table and I want you to sit at it. Right. Like that means something to people. And I don't, I just don't think that gets enough credit. Yeah. Especially if you're say you're, you're, you know, a, a black single mom who wants to be a CFP and is so freaking good at it, but no one's giving you the time of day or, you work at a RIA or advisory firm and the, the mentors you have around you aren't exactly able to relate to your experiences because there's literally only 4% out there. So yeah, just like really awesome kind of what you're building here. And so when someone kind of gets started in the program, can you share some of the secret sauces or things that you're maybe uh, implementing to kind of make sure that it's super comprehensive and cohesive? My program is designed specifically for because I jumped into the, some of these other ones and they're saying like, oh, you can hop out here and be digital and not have any experience. But I'm really recommending that people have some experience in the financial field, in personal finance, in some way, shape or form before they hop into this, just because that's going to help with your ramp up period. If you're trying to go through the coursework and you don't have any financial experience at all, that's going to be a little bit of a hindrance. And so I am suggesting that people have just a little bit of, you know, maybe you were a personal banker or, you know, you've worked in the finance realm in some way, shape or form. But you're right to your point of like, you know, they probably say that there's not space for you. You know, like it's not even just people of color. It's just young people in general, like young people in general. How are like they're saying like, oh, you know, you don't belong in this industry. And we have more millionaires now than ever. Right. And we have way more people earning way more money than ever. You know, the highest paid YouTuber last year. Do you know who the highest paid YouTuber was? Did we talk about uh, this? I'm not sure if I know exactly who it was, but did they make something insane like 30 million? Am I low balling? What is it? Yes, Do you no. 
She made $28 million last year. She was seven years old. (laughs) All right. I got a link to the show notes to this girl. I got a, that's crazy. Yeah. She's seven years old. So yeah, I know. Obviously her parents are helping her, but technically this young girl made $28 million last year. So things are shifting. Things are changing. And I'm going to be completely frank and this may get me blackballed from the industry but i'm not trying to fit in with the financial planning industry the financial planning industry wasn't made for people like me right it wasn't Mm -hmm. made for black millennials it wasn't made for millennials period it wasn't made for young people right that's why the average financial advisor is age 50 and up um and so i mean i get that i completely understand that but i will go toe-to-toe with any 50 and up financial planner right now Um, oh yeah people didn't realize like i consulted for over 16 different firms that's how i even got the connection at firm right now like they're based in philly so i was consulting for all of these firms so i knew what was going on behind the scenes i knew i was like yeah this they don't think that this is made for for people like me and that's fine i'm no longer going to try to fit in I tried to do that for a very long time. And what happens is you end up losing yourself. And it's, I'm not going to lie, it's really cringe to watch young people try to fit in in an old person's environment. The fake laughs and the thinking, you know, the references, like it's just too much. And life is too short. Like life is too short for you to have to fake who you are every day. Life is too short to be told what you can wear Monday through Friday. Life is too short to be told that I cannot wear open-toed shoes to work. Life is too short for that. So I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm just not buying into this. There's way too many other ways for you to make money out here for people to tell you that you can't wear a T-shirt to work. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to try to fit in with this industry that doesn't want me here in the first place. And I love that because, it, I mean, it it resonates with me. And I also just want to note that the financial advising and planning industry it literally has a saying and like men say that like <laughs> older men say it they call it pale male and stale that is an actual phrase that is used in this industry because it is true and the fact that there's because you created dasa digital advisor success accelerator out of that need right like out of someone maybe you know making you feel or telling you right like um you know they this digital and advice like the majority like old white men in the audience aren't going to want to listen to that but it's like how outdated are we thinking here like it reminds me of of some of my like past roles someone was like what's it like working for dinosaurs (laughs) I was like and that hurt it hurt because yeah it's it's like man I'm out here trying to be we work in fintech and we work in finance and these are supposed to be like the most innovative industries and they, there's so much more money pouring in. There's literally more VC money is pouring into fintech mm-hmm. than any other business sector on the damn planet. Like, and mm-hmm. we can't expand and offer different services and like modernize and innovate and all those things, or at least a lot of people are really close-minded to that. So it's just like, I love the idea. And this is kind of what I did when it came to like content and news, right? Like if you can't sit the cool kids table, then you make your own table and you lean into your differences. So that's like awesome that you're, you're doing that. Right. Because yeah, I'm tired I mean, of hearing some of the things that are told to women. I'm not going to lie. 
I'm getting a lot of energy from what you're saying right now. And it reminds me of like when I really turn up and I really get on go mode, like the goal for my first mentees is for them to make whatever their boss was making. So it's possible in this day and age. So that's the goal because people look at, they look at you and they're like, oh, you're young, you're black. They think that you're uneducated. You don't make good money. Like they think all of these things, right? And I'm saying this because those are literally things that I've had said to me being outside before. So my goal is really for these people to like 10x what they're making. And I'm going super, super hard for my first cohort because I remember when my money started to show. So what I mean by that is I have never. So when I realized very early on in the industry, like in the first year or so, I realized, hmm. It's going to take a long time for me to get paid what I'm worth. And it's going to take a long time for somebody to even cut me an average financial advisor check of like 120 grand a year. I was like, Mm -hmm. that's going to take a really long time for me to get there. So while I'm in the process of getting there, because I always want to make that a long term goal, I'm going to find other ways to make money. So I always Mm -hmm. did other things such as you guys don't try to fill in the blank for me. Okay, I um started consulting. Like I started doing that years ago. I started doing social media consulting. Um, Then I started doing financial planning consulting for other firms, right? So I started doing all of that. I had some small business flips where I had bought some established businesses, sold them, had some real estate. Like I did a lot of things, right? Because I was like, yeah, 40 grand a year, that's not, it's not going to cut it for me. So Mm -hmm. this isn't paying the bills. So I had to find some other things to do, right? And so When I say my money started to show, my money literally started to show, like started to show in like my car and some of the things that I had. And so, you know, the check that my boss was cutting me at the time was like, how are you affording this stuff? So I was like, hmm, my money is just starting to show like that's the point that I want my mentees to be at where your money is starting to show and you just can't hide it. And then you get into the point where like you don't want to hide it because we always focus on frugality in the personal finance world. And Mm. I'm just not about that. Like we get one life to live. Why should we live in this mindset of like, oh, we never have enough and we've got to be super, super frugal. Um, Have you ever seen like penny chasers or like penny pinchers or anything like that? I, I have not. But that is so engraved into our culture to really just focus on saving and like things like buyer's remorse and like yeah it's just really ingrained into your culture into the our culture here in america especially like unless you're like a top one percent person you Mm -hmm. should be like super frugal it's weird Mm -hmm. yeah and it in my opinion it sucks i was like guys like i came from a period of nothing because if you know anything about owning like land you're land rich so your net worth looks high but if your land isn't producing any income and you don't have the ability to really go out and make money like you guys can listen there's a lot of content on me a lot about my story but i grew up with a single mom and she didn't have any money i grew up super super poor so why would i want to project that into the rest of my life and just live super super poor i was like that's not fun to me being like oh i got 10 million but i drive a 1999 honda like that's just not fun to me i know bezos gets a kick off of that and that's cool but that's not me right and that's not most of the people that are joining my accelerator right like we want to live a rich life and rich doesn't always mean you go out and buy a $120,000 car, but whatever rich means to you, that's the life that we want to live. So I asked if you'd seen that Penny Pincher show, because on that Penny Pincher show, like, this is how frugal you can be. This couple literally would pick up roadkill off the side of the road 
and eat it for dinner. And I watched this at the beginning of my career as I was trying to make sense of money. And I was like, that is something I will not do. That looks like it sucks. Okay. No. I'm not going to. And that's when I decided I was like, I'm not doing this. So there's a quote by Mr. Edmonds and it's called frugal. It says frugality is founded in the principle that all riches have limits frugality is founded in the principle that all riches have limits so by me being a frugal person I was like okay that means that I think that my riches have limits that means I think that I'm limited at what I have right now when I know that I am open to more I know I'm going to accept more I know that I'm going to be more valuable as I gain more skills right so I was like yeah we're not gonna do that so I think that our, our industry and personal finance is very rooted in cut back, cut back, cut back. And I want to help you not have to cut back. And how do you not have to cut back? You typically have to earn more. So how can we get you earning more? That's what the accelerator is for. Well, and what a chain reaction, right? You can start with that mentality, just given the societal constraints and norms that have been put on women and people of color. We see it, right? You know, the majority of of homelessness is people of color. Majority of people in poverty are people of color. And it's because our world was built in a very twisted way to make that the case. And a lot of that has to do with our financial system. It's why we're like, it's why you and I are here, right? It's to, Mm -hmm. to break that down. And so when you start the train reaction of, I'm a young millennial black woman, right? Who doesn't need to live off this notion that my riches are limited or that I can't also have all of the things that a older rich white man has, right? Like I can have those things too. I can do whatever I want. I mean, when you do that and you preach this, you know, across all the podcasts and social media and the things that you do, and she does it really well, by the way, guys, you should totally check her, uh, check out her stuff. It just snowballs, right? Because then, you know, another, you know, who knows, like, another young woman in college will see it, right? And say, hey, oh my gosh, this is an option. I can do this. Or whoever it is, right? People that didn't see it as an option. And so the more people that see that as a possibility, the more you're just changing that narrative of, oh, I'm a woman. I'm a person of color. I'm young. I'm not, you know, riches aren't meant for me. This isn't in the cards for me. You know, so I, yeah, I just, you're changing the entire narrative with this basically. Which is sick. I'm trying. Trying. (laughs) I'm trying. Since I had the interview in 2019, like that was the thing. You decide that you want to do something right. And you're like, okay, I don't know the best way to go about this. So if you have somebody in your natural market that can teach you the best way to go about achieving your goal, then you're golden, right? But if there is no blueprint for you or you don't have access to the person with that blueprint, then what do you do? You just kind of struggle through and figure it out. And so since 2019, I've been kind of struggling through and trying to figure it out. And now I feel like I have a good enough grasp on it that I can help other people in that position. But of course, like digital is always changing. Advising is always changing. Like if you guys haven't noticed the shift in finance, like I'm talking to people in in fintech, right? So I'm like, all right, if you're in the industry and you haven't noticed the shift in financial planning in the financial industry, then like you're just going to be behind because it's changing. Everything is changing rapidly. And the goal is to be on the front end of that and not the back end. So I decided when I got in the industry at 20-ish years old that I was going to be young in the industry for a long time. 
I said, yeah, 50 year old, that's the average age. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be young for a long time. So how am I going to combat this being young? Right. So the majority of my career has been spent with people who are age 50 and up, um, and have over two to $3 million. So I quickly had to adapt to say like, okay, how am I going to make this work? But knowing that I was going to be young in the industry for a long time, I said, okay, I'm going to have to learn how to be on the front end of things and not the back end because I'm definitely a laggard. Guys, I have my Oculus glasses downstairs. I bought them like two weeks ago. I haven't opened the package. All right. I bought them because I'm trying to be at the beginning of the wave and not the end. So I actually need to go open them up. But it can transform your life being on the front end of things and not the back end of things. And so Mm -hmm. I want the people in my accelerator to be on the front end, to be in the wave. And that can be hard to do on your own and can be hard to navigate. So sometimes you need a guide, somebody that can help you, somebody that can take a hundred thousand dollar hit for you. I never imagined myself to be the person who would be investing in these high level masterminds or to see $100,000 leave my account to go get invested into other people's coaching programs. But that has just tripled my net worth. Like it's been insanely amazing. And of course you have to pick the right ones, but that was never a reality for me. But I realized that you can cut the check to go further faster You can cut the check to go further faster. So anybody that's listening, I am recommending that you cut the check to go faster further. So don't wait to take that course to get that new certification, you know, to join that mastermind, that whatever it is, that community group, like cut the check to go further faster. I think that it's going to to just. 10x your time and like what we know is the faster that we get to our dream life the sooner we get to enjoy it so I'm trying to get everybody to be accelerated hence the name accelerator (laughs) yes I mean that is such a great message I think for really any industry but especially any you know fintech operators listening right because it's about being right at that at that front end. You purchase that Oculus glasses, uh, and I've got mine, so we'll have to pay uh, Beat Sabers some time together. It's super fun. You'll find out what that is soon. And um, once you get into it, it's really fun. No idea. It's like imagine like Dance Dance Revolution meets Star Wars. Really, really cool. Anyways, you'll you'll Dance, see. Dance Dance and, Revolution was my thing though. So ooh, so you're gonna like this. So it's more of like your hands, and you like slice and dice these music blocks. Anyway, you'll you'll it's really fun. But, you know, being at the front of the disruption, right, and kind of leaning in to change and what's different and and that sort of thing, right, I think we don't necessarily see that enough. And it's actually a reason why I really talk about the wealth management space a lot, even though I cover fintech as a whole. I love really focusing on this industry because I think it just has so much room for potential. And I'm trying to be on the forefront of that as like the content creator, as the journalists covering the industry. Like I'm hoping that I look back one day and, and wealth tech has just blown up and become this huge thing. And FinTech is all after it in the same way they're all after, you know, payments and embedded finance and banking as a service and all that stuff. And, um, but wealth tech and wealth management just has so much white space left. And I know that VCs are interested and, um, I know that they want to put more money into personal financial management I mean, this recording will come out later, but like, you know, there's huge news happening in the space all the time, you know, Wealthfront being acquired by UBS and and all these things happening. So anyway, the point is like, you want to be on the forefront of what that change is 
and embrace it. And so, yes. um, yeah, no matter kind of what industry you're in, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I love what you're doing in this space and you're right. Like you're at the beginning the front end, the disruptor end, like even for podcasting, people haven't realized this yet, but I know podcasting has been around for a while, but think about it like this, like even podcasting itself, the people don't know how to pay people for that, right? Like you upload a podcast, you don't get paid for that, but you upload a song to Spotify, you're going to get paid for that. You're going to get paid Mm -hmm. for those streams, right? But podcasting, they still haven't figured that out yet. So the sooner that we can establish our presence here and be disruptors, the sooner we can get paid big money for what we do. So (laughs) I love that you're on the front end of this. Um, And I think you make a really good point about just disrupting the industry in particular. And the point that I would like to point out here is that people are always asking the question of like, okay, well, what's going to go away? You know, like, well, what's going to change about financial planning? Like, what's going to go away with that? Like, you know, are the fees going to change? The structure going to change? Like, what's going to change? And for me, I want to be focused on what's going to remain the same. I don't think that there's going to be any point where people are going to divert away from fintech. I don't think that we're ever going to be like, huh, I don't want online fast payment processing. You know, I want to go back to writing checks. Like, no. (laughs) So I'm focused on what's going to be consistent. People are going to want convenience. They're going to want ease of accessible information, right? Like what are those pillars that people are still going to want moving forward? Instead of focusing on what's going to, uh, you know, change and go away, focus on what's going to be consistent, right? So, you know, like podcasting is going to be consistent. It's still at the very beginning, right? So understanding the fintech world and being a disruptor there, like that's going to be consistent. People are not going to get less curious about fintech, right? So I think that it's amazing to have you on the forefront of it. And I am I am very um, honored to grace this podcast in its <laughs> beginning phases. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, Jacqueline and I go back. I had mentioned when I first interviewed her in it. Cra- it's crazy that it feels like just this time last year. It feels like it could. I mean, it's COVID time, so it could might as well be 10 years. But how much we've just changed and grown since both of us. Right. I mean, I used to be a corporate finance reporter with plenty of suit and tie-ness to me. Uh, and I've just like completely deconstructed all of that and, and gone uh, and to build like my own fintech news brand, you right? Did. And then- Wait, can I share something on that yes. really quickly yes. so that your listeners can really get to know you? <laughs> yes. So Nicole interviewed me, right? And she was like, oh, this is super, super dope. Um, all of this stuff, right? She's like, I'm gonna follow you. And I was like, okay, make sure you like shoot me a message or DM or something so that I know I can make sure I follow you. Right. And she was like, yeah, I just don't really have a whole lot of followers and I just don't really do social media thing. I was like, okay, cool. So then I go look (laughs) at her page and I was like, girl, you better not ever second guess yourself that you're not doing it on here. Okay. You're doing it. Maybe you don't have a whole lot of followers right now, but you had a lot in my opinion. So I was like, do not ever second guess yourself. Did my words carry with you at all? Uh, yes. So she dived into my Instagram, found kind of like a fire ass pic that I posted from before where I was feeling very like much like a boss bitch. And um, she reshared it with me. Oh, my gosh. I love this story. You reshared it with me and you were like, please never second guess yourself ever again. And I was like, all right, damn. And you know, what's so crazy is literally like my Twitter says I've been on it since 2011, but that's just because I opened it when I was in high school and then put it away when Instagram kind of took off and Snapchat and all the craziness. But like, I really didn't start picking it up again until after that conversation. And how has that has changed my life? I got a new job because of Twitter. I like met my founders at Workweek because of Twitter. I started this whole thing 
because of Twitter, um, because I was like, okay, you know what? She's right. I should like put myself out there a little bit more and I can and I can use my voice. And I like it took me a while. Right. Like I slowly got into it until I felt until I finally took a role where I'm really allowed to do that because like traditional journalism doesn't always let you put your your thoughts and opinions out there. But anyway, that is mm-hmm. I love that. you shared that Yeah. See, she, she had shared a fire pick on there and it wasn't corporate suit and tie buttoned up. Right. And it was it kind of inspired me because I was like, all right, this is the way that I'm trying to move. Like, I want to be able to freely be myself and not be judged as, oh, you're not professional or you don't know what you're talking about because you posted a bathing suit pic. So I didn't have any bathing suit pics at that point. But if you guys are interested, there is (laughs) one or two on my page now. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I wanted you to have like the, the confidence to be you. That was the main thing. I was like, well, I didn't know if you were going to switch your jobs or anything like that. I didn't know you're going to, you know, take over Twitter. (laughs) But I definitely was like, no, you definitely should be yourself on here. And I was like, it, it only makes business easier. Honestly, I think when you put yourself out there of like, Hey, I'm a business person. I do this. You don't always have to be constantly selling in people's faces, but they do want to be connected with you. Right. They want to know what you have to offer the value that you provide. And so I think that is awesome that you took that and ran with it. So Thank you. And also just like how important is it to uplift others, right? That maybe, you know, you had kind of sensed something in me that felt like, oh, my voice doesn't matter or like uh, putting myself out there doesn't matter because I'm like hiding behind maybe like this traditional reporter facade or whatever it was I was doing at the time. And Mm, I think that was it because it wasn't there was nothing that was like conscious of like, oh, this girl is a baddie, but I don't see it. It was more just like I was like, hmm, I was like, she's kind of young. She's in this very, I was like, she's probably in the same position where like you're in a very like corporate kind of setting. And I'm yeah. like, hmm. I said, I don't know if this is the real her. <laughs> <laughs> right. And she, she did. She pulled it out of me. And that is so awesome. Um, yeah. So that's just kind of like a call to action to anyone listening to like when you see someone that you think is like going to be amazing at something or just needs like a nudge, do it. Because Jacqueline did that for me. And here we are talking a year <laughs> later, like completely different women doing so many amazing things so I'm just so proud of both of us talking about social media I do want to ask like how you plan on getting the word out about DASA by leveraging like fun social media strategies like challenges and that type of thing Uh, I'm not gonna lie I so as you guys are listening we'll link it in the show notes but the pre-sale is available to jump in DASA So you're able to jump in and then the course will be launched here very shortly. I don't know exactly how I'm going to promote it. I honestly have so many informal mentees. I think that they're going to make up like my first cohort because I don't want it to get too too big. I don't want to have like 100 people sign up because I don't think that I could successfully serve 100 people in the accelerator. So I want to start off with it being kind of small. So you know, if you are interested in jumping in, I would recommend you go ahead and click the link in the show notes and sign up right now just to make sure you can secure your spot because I don't know exactly how many people I'm going to have in it. So I don't know how much I'm going to post like on social media to get people's attention. I need to figure out what exactly that strategy is. Um, so I still have some pinpointing to do, guys. But everything that I do is tailored for the people who are going to be in the accelerator to make sure you guys are getting the best of what you have. I mean, honestly, I just want to make noise in like the financial planning and CFP industry. I want them to be like, hey, who is this girl who keeps taking all these people from all of these underpaid jobs and <laughs> making them into bosses and changing their lives? Like, I want them to start having those conversations because the way that it's working right now, like, 
I'm on the business owner side, but I just don't agree with the CFP who has eight years of experience making $50,000 a year in any market. I just don't agree with that. It just doesn't click. It doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't make sense. So ridiculous. I'm trying to, to change that. So yeah, no, absolutely. And thanks for like full honesty, transparency, right? I mean, it takes time to think about like those social media strategies, what you're going to do next. And I also love, because I was thinking about asking you earlier, like how many people you would have in the first cohort. But I love that you're kind of keeping it like keeping it intimate, keeping it small, maybe keeping it to folks that you kind of know. But of course, like sign up because I'm sure you'll be kind of evolving it all the time. So yeah, I just I love that you're kind of you're in that business owner mindset, right? Like you're paying a lot of attention to detail and being like very particular about how you want to go about this so that it is successful. And that's super smart. And really also just like encouraging because I'm excited to kind of see you build something that we haven't just we just haven't seen in the industry, right? Which is, hey, we can be digital, we can create a digital advisor program, we can create a safe space for more women in POC to come in and join this industry and be mentored by someone like Jacqueline, who has experienced all the things. So anyway, so amazing. I know we only have just a few minutes left. I want to ask maybe quickly when it comes to social media and how you've built a business using it to market your services and what you have to offer. I'm sure a lot of maybe CFPs out there who uh, haven't kind of been able to take off with this yet are so interested to hear from you. But if you could sum up your tips for success on social in three steps, what would they be? So firstly, I would tell you to look objectively at your page or profiles or whatever you offer, right? So if you were a client who was looking for a financial advisor, would they hire you based on your social media or internet presence? So if the answer is no, which it probably is, then I would suggest you click the link in the show notes, sign up for DASA. But giving you high level really quickly, three things. So firstly, you're going to need a website. A website is way too cheap and easy to set up in this day and age for you not to have one. So you definitely need a website. I understand that people are like, oh, websites are dying and what about my social media? You still need a website, especially if you're going to try to secure some of these contracts that I'm going to teach you how to secure, right? How to get $2,000 a day for very simple tasks, right? I make $120,000 a year on one of my contracts and I only work 15 hours a week. So I want to teach you guys how to do that. And in order to do that, you're going to need a website. So that's number one, you need a website. Number two, whether or not you have an assistant, a virtual assistant, a team member, whatever it is, you need a scheduling link. Okay. It's just I don't even want to deal with anybody who's like, hey, yeah, contact my assistant. You guys can go back and forth in emails about what time works for who. Nope, we're not doing that anymore. That died several years ago. So you need a scheduling link. All right. Calendly is super, super easy to use. C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. Calendly, super easy to use. They have a free option to get started. So there's no excuse as to why you shouldn't have that. And then the third piece that you need is to focus on whatever social media platform you want to use to grow your business. So if you want to use Twitter, that's your drug of choice, then go with Twitter and go all in on Twitter, right? So a mistake that a lot of people make is they hop on every single platform and they try to fulfill all of the needs for every single platform. And I just don't recommend that, right? So if Twitter is your uh, weapon of choice, go with that or 
LinkedIn. Those two are very highly recommended, especially for people who are just kind of jumping into this space digitally. So those are my three recommendations. Have you have you a website? All right. I'm in the South. All right. So have you a website? Make sure that you have a scheduling link and then make sure that you are just focused in on whatever platform it is that you want to use. Yeah, so, solid pieces of advice. I I love that, and it is crazy to think if you don't have like a website. I when I uh, was in in grad school, I had a professor that literally made us all own our first and last name as domains, and oh, so wow. which was like, yeah, I know. How lucky am I to have had that? And he was like, you will want this, and, and he was so right. <laughs> anyway, so so amazing. Right? And right? let me speak really quickly to why I don't own mine. So I was engaged at one point and I thought my <laughs> last name was going to change. And so I never okay. bought it. And I still kind of think that it might change, but I own Jacqueline Plants. So if you are looking for me, it's at Jacqueline Plants. Plants. Most people can't pronounce my last name. They always ask. It's Shattuck. So, you know, I mispronounced it in the intro. So there we go. <laughs> Shattuck. Okay. Anyways, we're all human. The uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up is for the fintech operators and providers listening, can you share what pain points you have with some of the technology available to you as a financial planner building your own businesses? Oh, goodness. Let's start with the Stripe. Okay. Shout out to Stripe. Stripe, can I get a sponsorship? Can we get some money for this? Can you stop charging me so much on my processing fees? Because it's expensive. Like I use Stripe as my main payment processor and that's the biggest pain point because it's so expensive. 2.9 plus 30% on every, like, come on guys. It's, it's a Mm. lot. It ends up being a lot. So that's a huge pain point for me. And I'm trying to figure that out before DASA really fully launches and people get through the coursework and hop into the Q and A, because I would like to have a cheaper option for people, but I, I understand how the hierarchy works and everybody's got to be paid. It just seems a little bit steep, guys. But if I'm wrong, please write in the comments. Let me know. You know, Jacqueline, you're completely wrong. That's too cheap. Actually, they should be charging you 5%. Let me know. But that's a huge pain point for me, as you can see. Um, The (laughs) other pain point that I have is finding good just team members, right? Like I need a really good virtual assistant and that's Mm -hmm. not in the fintech realm at all but it is a pain point for me so if anybody has a virtual assistant business and they train vas and can send me a really good one i would appreciate it very much amazing thank you and that is actually something that i think i might you're giving me story ideas and leads so so thank you i'm gonna probably look into something like that (laughs) um But this has been such an amazing conversation. So awesome catching up. I'm so excited to see Dasa just soar and and be so amazing, just like yourself. So my last question for you are just some final thoughts. Jacqueline, please tell us what the F we can expect from you next. It's just caught me off guard. But (laughs) aside from, you know, me taking Dasa and my mentees to the moon, I'm also getting ready to launch some more digital products. So I think that you should lead by example. So I've invested a lot of money in getting a new course done. So you will see that launched and that's directly for consumers. So the good thing about being a part of Dasa is you will get access to everything that I've done. So I will teach you how to, you know, write an ebook within three hours, you know, how to get that whole thing thing done, how to create your digital product suite. And if that's not something you're interested in, you're not 
interested in social media at all, how can you still grow a six-figure business without being the face on social media? So those are things that you can expect from me moving forward. And I'm super excited to watch your journey as well as you continue down this. It feels it feels almost uncomfortable. What the fintech <laughs> world. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. I really, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's like so fun. Just, it's like extra special, I feel like for us, just given, you know, now everyone kind of knows our, our kind of history and our backstory a little bit, but it is, it is super special given, um, you know, I really kicked off my social media and kind of content creation journey after interviewing Jacqueline and, and getting to know her and her story. So just a real inspiration. And I hope she is to you all listening as well. That is a wrap on this episode of What the Fintech. Thank you again to Jacqueline for joining us and to our listeners for tuning in. Check out the show notes to sign up for Jacqueline's Digital Accelerator and all the other interesting things that we've talked about today. I will link them there. (laughs) And if you love this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button and you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Bye. Desirable. I